Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message.
Well, good morning again. It is great to see you. Uh, some of you to see you back after vacation, um, and some of you today for the first time. I'm really glad that you're here worshiping this morning. Uh, I'm Father Morgan Reed, and I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. We're a new church plant in Springfield that serves kind of everything south of 495, Franconia, Springfield, Kingstown, Belvoir. And, um, and I'm just so happy to see you this morning, to be worshiping with you. Um, I know many are traveling this week and next week, so again, keep people in prayers for safe travels and for rest and for relaxation. And uh, let me pray for us as we begin, uh, as we hear from God's word this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. I was thinking back to something that I had seen a while, a while ago, a few years ago. Back in 2017, there was uh, a documentary that came out. If you want to watch it sometime, it's called Accidental Courtesy. Accidental Courtesy. It's about a blues musician uh, named Daryl Davis, who's a uh, black man in Maryland. And what he has done over the last 30 years is he has spent his last 30 years befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. It's a really shocking thing to watch. And, and the reason why he does this, he says, is, his premise is this. How can somebody hate me when they don't even know me? How can someone hate me when they don't even know me? And so through the process of just making conversations with somebody at a bar or just having a, a friendship and a relationship connecting over things they do actually agree about, like music, for example. Um, he's been given the opportunity then to ask people questions, to have relational trust with them, uh, to start chipping away at some of the KKK's foundational beliefs um, through normal conversation. And through his conversations with different Klansmen over the years, he estimates that about 200 people have left the Ku Klux Klan uh, because of just his conversations with them. And so it's interesting, there's this shot in the movie where you're going through his house and he opens the door to one of his rooms and it's filled with KKK uniforms of all ranks. It is a really bizarre scene to see in this man's house for obvious reasons. Um, but for him, the reason why he keeps them and doesn't burn them is for him, it's this almost a keepsake, a, a reminder of the ways that he is putting a dent in, in some of the problems of racism, the way he's chipping away at it, it's a reminder to him of why he's doing what he's doing. And I think what's interesting when we think about this particular story is that when these men give up their flawed ideology about white supremacy, the way that they symbolically give that up is through giving somebody their robes. And they have put off an old way of life, they've put off old views, about race, religion, politics, and civil engagement and discourse, and they never want to pick up those things again the way that they used to. But the rejection of the robes, this physical thing, is this symbolic uh, representation of the conversion that's happened in their hearts. And so to try and put those robes on again would be embarrassing, it would be awkward, it would feel strange, it would feel incredibly inappropriate now that they have given up that way of life. Um, because they don't actually hold to what those robes symbolize. And I think the connection of robes 
and theology and ideology and identity is something that actually happens a lot in Scripture. And it's a helpful way to think about understanding St. Paul's ideas here in Colossians 3. Um, Like I mentioned, not just in St. Paul's letters, but when we go back into Scripture, we can see a connection between who I am in God and, and, and clothing or robes. So when we go back to the Garden of Eden, it says that when Adam and Eve fell, they sewed together what? Anybody remember the story? What did they sew together? Fig leaves, right? And if you've seen fig leaves, they're pretty large, but they essentially made you know garments out of fig leaves. And so what God does later is he replaces those with garments of skin now that they realize that they are naked and they are ashamed of that for the first time. And then if we go to the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, the 24 elders, it says, are clothed in white garments. And so there's something about whether we're talking about the martyrs, the elders, the saints, clothing is mentioned with them at the end of the story as well. And so in a, we get a taste of this, of, of the end, in our baptism liturgy. And so if you've been here for a baptism, um, you remember that what we do is after we baptize them with water in the name of the Trinity, we sign them with the sign of the cross. And we use that oil of chrism, symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. And then after they receive the oil of chrism on their foreheads, we give them a white garment. And that white garment is symbolic. And we pray this. We say, receive this white garment as a token of the righteousness that's given you by God's grace in this sacrament of baptism. And as a sign that you should always give yourself to holy living for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's a foretaste of the future reality. And yet, even though it's a foretaste, it is actual reality. They are, they are being given this, and the clothes symbolize what they're being given. So this morning, St. Paul is sharing the things that we need to put off uh, in order to grow together into the image of Christ in community. Um, growing into greater maturity in Christ in this passage involves something specific. It involves discerning which thoughts need to be put to death quickly, and, uh, and which thoughts result from the love of Christ, and then should actually find expression among us because they build Christian community. And by find expression, I mean uh, given to word or actually actualized in deed. So to use the language we find in the passage, we might say it this way, that doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means learning to, to say and to do what comes from a place of love, and to put to death quickly anything that doesn't. Um, And and so as we arrive in Colossians 3, we've been in a series in Colossians. Next week will be our last Sunday in the book of Colossians together. Here in verse 5, St. Paul starts with, put together, therefore, uh, or sorry, put put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And I think there are still challenges, even though we have been made new in Christ, there are still challenges to Christ-like community and being formed. And that's partially because there are a host of sins out there that range from very overt to less and less overt, covert, if you will, um, that are just glossed over, that are tolerated, that might even be celebrated in the broader culture that we live in. And so those present challenges. Um, Challenges arise when things are left to fester in us that are glossed over, tolerated, or celebrated. uh, And those things are given the opportunity to express themselves 
in thought, word, and deed. That presents challenges to being formed like Christ in community. There are challenges to Christ-centered community because all of us have prejudices that we may not know about, that we need to work through, which is something he addresses in this passage. Uh, One author has compared St. Paul's list here to an encouragement to cutting off supply lines. So if you think of war, one of the ways that you can keep uh, the enemy's personnel and weaponry away from the front line, or at least diminished as they get closer to the front line, is diminishing the supply lines all along the way. And so it's helpful for us to think about sin in those terms. Um, Cultivating Christ-likeness in community, each of us is responsible to take a note of what are these often besetting sins? What is on the front line for us? And then work our way back, now that we've recognized the idol, where are the supply lines being run? And how do we start to destroy those supply lines? So we need to work backwards to the things that we set our affections on. What are the idols that we worship? Which, in this passage, he actually calls covetousness an idol. Which was very uh, challenging for me this week as I thought about the ways that I covet or am jealous. And I'm sure, well, maybe I am alone in this. Maybe you figured it out. But, uh, you know, as I think of that as an idol, it helps us cut things off from the source, which don't actually come from the love of God. In verse 8, he mentions anger. And then he mentions wrath. And he mentions malice being things that we put away. Because if those things sit there and are allowed to grow and fester, the outward expression of those things is going to find its way out in community. Um, That's part of growing into maturity, is to put to death quickly those things that don't stem from the love of Christ. And and those three dispositions that he just mentioned with anger and, and malice and wrath, when we think about those ones specifically... It's hard to be angry without somebody as the object. I mean, maybe you could be angry about a situation, but nine times out of ten, when you think of anger, wrath, or malice, some person, someone made in the image of God, is the object of that wrath for us. And, and so uh, it's easy then to see how that spills over into speech in communities. So thoughts and words and deeds. Uh, Those are our fabric that, when woven together, are the things that clothe us. Thoughts, words, and deeds. And and it can be clothing in two different ways. It can be clothing for good, in the love of Christ, newly created garments. Or it can be clothing of evil that we need to put off, that which is contrary to Christ. And when thoughts and words and deeds become collective in a group, uh, and, and more specific to a community, they form culture. And where culture is, there is also potential for division, because as a culture develops, uh, within that culture, there's, there's more shared history, there's different heroes, there's different values than the culture across the way. And so we create these um, different subcultures, we would say, that, that need to be broken down between one another. N.T. Wright uh, says that the ancient world, just like the modern, was an elaborate network of prejudice suspicion and arrogance, so ingrained as to be thought natural and normal. And so verse 11 pushes against the different kinds of divisions that arise in the global body of Christ, classism, sectarianism, racism, political and sectarian partisanship, which is one that is uh, very endemic in the culture at the moment. It probably always was, but uh, you know, it just seems like it's on the forefront with the advent of social media. 
And so when you think about the terms in, in the book of Colossians, when the Jews and the Gentiles were, when we're thinking about those two groups, they may have had different cultural and religious backgrounds, one pagan, uh, one more historic within the context of the scriptures. There was a power dynamic that existed between Jew and Gentile, whether that's civic uh, or whether it's religious. And, but both of those groups need to come into Christ together. And so when, when we do this, when we allow um, the love of Christ to, to bind up our differences, then those barriers break down. The power dynamic breaks down. So one doesn't stop being Jewish. One doesn't stop being Gentile. But the power dynamic between them is eliminated in Christ. It kind of reminds me of a conference that I had attended online uh, maybe a year or so back. There was a female priest who is African-American. And during the Q&A session, it got really interesting. There was a really nice older um, white gentleman who was listening along and, and he wanted to ask a question. And it was, whatever the question was, it was a fair question, it was a good question. Um, I can't remember what the question was. But what he did before the question was spend about a minute or two uh, talking to her about how important the topic was that she was talking about. Thank you so much for bringing this to us. And, you know, all of that was great. But then he said something that sounded odd. Um, he said, and I just think, you know, it is so great that someone like you is a part of our church. And, and I really wish it had been clearer what he said, because I, I think what he was trying to say was, I'm so grateful that you are a leader in this church. Um, but the way that it sounded, uh, and maybe I was a little salty or sensitive that day, uh, but the way that it sounded was, read our church being predominantly white and someone like you being black. Um, and so hopefully I was hearing him wrong that day. But the reality is, is there, there are power dynamics in the culture that need to be eliminated within the church because we are one in Christ. And so the point is that our broader church, the Anglican Church in North America, needs to continue to do work on breaking down power dynamics between culturally disparate groups. I mean, whether that is uh, immigrants in this area, whether they're Indian or Vietnamese, uh, or, you know, the African-American white dialogue, like, those barriers need to be broken down in Christ, and that work that happens at a provincial level needs to continue to happen at the level of congregation and at the level of mission and at the level of the individual. I miss diocese. Diocese as well. Um, and so there's... But the thing is, there's never been... A time in history where that note of breaking down barriers does not need to be resounded for some reason. I'm, I was thinking back to a, a work on Syrian monasticism by an author named Theodoret of Syrus. And one of the things that he talks about is how great a guy named Afrahad is, or, or how good, how miraculous it is that anybody would convert when this guy named Afrahad spoke because he didn't know any Greek. And even then, there was this mindset that if you didn't know Greek, uh, it is only by God's miraculous grace that he could you know, use you in the church. Um, whether that was spoken or not, there was another barrier that needed to be broken down. Um, so whether it's race, sociolinguistics, socioeconomics, uh, political partisanship, any other thing that creates a barrier in the body of Christ, anything where we think to ourselves, you know, I just can't understand how so-and-so would think that way. Like, how in the world could anybody believe that? 
maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that. But if you've ever thought that, you know, let that be a, a, a cue to make the extra effort to, to really work hard at understanding somebody. I'm not advocating that you agree with them. Ultimately, there are people that I cannot agree with. And there are going to be people that you cannot agree with. And that's okay, but to come in with that disposition rehumanizes somebody that you disagree with. Um, and what's neat is when you rehumanize them, even though you disagree, there's actually potential to have a relationship with that person, even in the church. So, St. Paul says in verse 12, put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And finally, he says that love is the thing that binds everything together. And I think that is a wonderful vision for the church. So being in Christ means that we have put on entirely new garments, which actually symbolically is why the priest's vests uh, symbolizes the righteous robes that we have in Christ. Being in Christ means that we have entirely new garments and that, and that our life should be characterized by compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. When people think of the church, you know, may the Lord make it so that that is the thing that they think of. And all of those things are being held together in love. So you could have a church. And if it is not loving, what do we have? Right? In St. Paul's language, we have love, if we don't have love, we have nothing. And so I remember some of the early conversations before we were ever planting this church. I had some early conversations back in 2019 with people who were kind of out there on the fringes, kind of knowing that I was hoping to plant a church. They weren't ever going to be a part of it. They were part of other churches. And I felt like people made way too big of a deal about how we were going to worship. Because, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've ever been to another Anglican church in the area, we, we do things a little differently here. We're a little bit higher church than a lot of the churches in the area. And that's okay. I make no apologies for that. Um, and, you know, but the thing is, they made a bigger deal about the style of worship of what this church plant would eventually be than the ways that this church could actually have an impact um, on changing the lives of people around this area and creating Christian community in, in an area that needs a lot more good churches. We are the only ACNA mission between the city of Alexandria and Woodbridge, except for another church down in Mount Vernon. Uh, and so that is a huge area that needs good churches. It is underserved. And so, you know, imagine somebody saying, wow, like I really want to start a church so that I can worship in accordance with my preferences. That would be a terrible reason to start a church. Um, and it's equally problematic for you know, people to say, I'm going to go choose a church purely based on what the, the worship style is like uh, because it suits me and my preferences. The liturgy we have is a really good vehicle. Um, it is a great vehicle to understand God's love and his grace and to be sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like we are reminded of that every week, and we are given his grace through, through the sacraments. Um, but the liturgy is never a, a silver bullet for a mature community or emotional health. Uh, it, it is a good vehicle of it, but man, there's a lot more to it than that. And the main thing is what St. Paul says in this, he's saying in this portion of the letter, the church puts on these characteristics, these virtues uh, in her members of being this new creation people. 
And everything we do is bound together with love. So worship style is important. And the reason why it's important is because the medium is the message. The medium's the message. And I would argue that through the liturgy, though, the liturgy has a more profound effect on us when the community is growing together in the love of Christ. Those two things happen together and heuristically. And so I can see uh, the love that you all have for one another. When I was looking back at the building surveys that you just filled out, some of you are new or may not know this, but on a normal Sunday, this is actually pretty full in here. Uh, But we are in the lowest point of summer, and so you wouldn't know this, but we're actually outgrowing the space. And so we've been in a building search really since about early to mid-June. And um, so I sent out a building survey to you all to fill out, and you did a great job filling those out and telling me uh, things that you were thinking about with uh, liturgy and your preferences, your liturgical preferences, your architectural preferences, your amenity preferences. Um, But what I thought was interesting is sometimes some of those were at odds with one another. And so, for example, I'll just use myself, some of you answered that in the new space, man, you would love to have incense. Um, And then when the surveys came in, there were actually a number of people who said, so I'm actually allergic to incense. And so if we find a space that allows for incense out of love, we're not going to use incense because we want all the people here to continue to worship here and be bound together in love, grow in community. Now, there might be opportunities on a special service where we do the service twice and the later one we have incense. But the, the fact of the matter is I want everybody to be able to worship because let's say three or four people in this community are allergic to incense. It's almost 10%. So that means in the broader community, that's probably true as well. Everything that we need to do with our decision-making needs to be guided by the love of Christ and the mission of the church. Um, And I want to share some of those observations that came back from the surveys. I think it's really helpful. All of you want one service in the morning. And one service in the morning, even if that means that we've got to be in a non-traditional church space that we have to set up, so there might be a little more set up and tear down. But you value each other, and that's wonderful. Um, I was really encouraged by that because you love being together uh, more than just worshiping a certain way, that actually relationships in this community are vital to your growth in Christ. That's great. Uh, That's a very missional mindset. It's something I love about this church. And so you also want to expand our liturgical experience, Um, whether that is more space for vesting, having kneelers, um, putting in an altar rail. There are some ones you can get that we can set up and tear down each week. That's not a problem. But you care about reverence in worship and, and that Jesus is lifted high in our midst. And you also think well about hospitality. So I asked, what amenities would we need It would make it easier for you to invite your friends to the church. And some of the answers were coffee and food, which we have on Sunday mornings now. A playground. uh, Places for nursing mothers, which we do have a a glider in there, so that's great. Handicap access. And then I added clean bathrooms that smell nice. But that's not a small thing. Uh, So these are all things that we think about with hospitality and welcoming people into the community. Uh, Those surveys really helped me internalize how much the church is not a building, but the building that we use is a tool that's going to form this community. So we want a space where we can form the space to then form us. 
as a tool for growth and health and in discipleship. Once we put on love, St. Paul has three, three more admonitions that finish off this passage. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he binds everything up in what is a summary statement in verse 17. Verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love what one writer says about St. Paul's summary. Whether it's manual work, political activity, raising a family, writing a book, playing tennis, or whatever in the name of in his name and with gratitude, Jesus, the true divine and human image of God, the one whose cross secured our reconciliation, is the reason for our gratitude, and the one through whom we can now offer that gratitude to the Father himself. So Let's continue to put off those old clothes that that don't suit us anymore, that are inappropriate for us. The anger, the covetousness, which is idolatry, the slanderous speech, the lying, the malice. And let's wear these new creation garments that we have in Christ while being bound up together in love for one another. You guys actually, whether or not you realize that you love being around each other, that came through strongly in the surveys, you know, how often it is Someone says, let's get together. Like, should I ask them to get together? Because I don't know if they want to hang out with me. You all have permission to have one another over. You actually like being around each other, whether you realize that or not. Um, And so we want to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, doing all things in the name of Jesus. And and growing in in greater maturity in, in Christ involves discerning those thoughts that need to be put to death quickly. And, and which thoughts result from the love of Christ and should then be allowed to be given expression in word or in deed uh, because they build Christian community. Let's grow together in doing everything in the name of the Lord. And, and that means learning to say and do what comes from love and put to death quickly what doesn't come from love. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, our Savior, You desire that none should perish, and you have taught us through your Son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Grant that our hearts may ache for a lost and broken world. May your Holy Spirit work through our deeds, words, and prayers, that the lost may be found and the dead made alive, and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.